Hello, my name is Tyler Maltsev, and I will be having a conversation with Elon Norwood for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is August 25th, and this is being recorded at my apartment. So could you tell me a bit about your experiences with accessing medical transition? Um, sure. Um, so I've been very lucky and very privileged with um, my access to medical transition. Um, I have a very supportive family. And so my parents, uh, though I wasn't covered under uh, my parents' insurance for some of my medical procedures, um, because they were under Tex Texas Blue Cross Blue Shield before the ACA, uh, that's that was pretty bad, and it had an explicit transgender exclusion, um, and they paid for my top surgery and they paid for my hysterectomy, which was really nice and really just um, you know, I wouldn't have been able to afford it otherwise. So I'm extremely extremely privileged in that way. Um, and then um, my, like, my family basically were able to, to come with me. Like, my mom came with me to San Francisco when I got my top surgery. My, she came up here to sleep on my couch when um, I had my hysterectomy. Um, that was really good. And, like, it was, like, extra caretaker uh, stuff. But um, now I'm getting my phalloplasty, and for once I'm now on an insurance that covers it, which is great. Um, and the issue is that I'm now learning about like the amount of gatekeeping that goes into that. Um, uh, so like for some context, um, I, I'm in a unionized job. So because of that, um, we have very robust health insurance. And because I'm in New York City, um, we've got like the human rights law from New York City. We've got the human rights law from New York State. Like we're very covered, even if like federal protections were taken away or stripped away, um, you know, I'm still definitely going to be covered, which is very good. Um, and um, the only issue is that like to qualify for like these procedures, I need to jump through a lot of hoops. I need to have two letters from medical health, from mental health providers that one of which is preferably like has an MD or PhD. Um, I need to have, um, like, and, they, and at least one of them is supposed to have, like, a specialty in gender therapy, um, which is really hard to find someone who has, like, explicitly a specialty in that. Um, and then I'm also, you know, like, getting, I have to get a letter from, like, my physical healthcare specialist that's basically like, yeah, you've been on hormones for a while, which is easy for me because I've been on them since, like, 2010. So that's not hard. Uh, but the really hard thing has been like dealing with the mental health stuff because of the fact that, that you know a lot of the people who are working 
as you know gender therapy you know practitioners and things like that like they're usually focused on people who are at the start of their transition like just coming into like their understanding of things and basically that's not that's going to that's going to kind of make it so that the the questions that are asking me and the way that they're interacting with me um come off as sort of like a combination of one often irrelevant and also really patronizing like i had to fill out this questionnaire and i that like for the beginning of of one of my like therapy appointments with you know this like one group that i could find and you know it would ask questions that i just I, like i gave the wrong answers to because they inherently weren't about me like they would ask like on the questionnaire it was like do you have like discomfort about your chest and it's like no i don't <laughs> like i i love how my chest looks it looks great <laughs> like i've had top surgery for like the past 7 years i look fine like i'm happy with it like you know like you know how do you feel when you get misgendered well i don't really like i can try to remember like i i don't generally get misgendered so i don't know what to say to this like you know cuz it was supposed to be like um answer feelings that you've had within the past year too like it was like supposed to be like like a a thing so i was like well if you want me to go back i can talk to you about that but like unless we're talking about 7 years ago I can't give you the answer that I think is the the one that you're you're looking for here. And so there was just a lot of stuff where I was just like this is really irrelevant to me, but I'm having to go through these motions because that you're you're kind of cookie cuttering this. And I think that's a, an issue not just for people like me who are like far down in their you know far like doing I don't want to say far down in their transition, but because some people don't want a phalloplasty and that's fine. But like people who are in a place where i am who do want it like that like what am i supposed to say you know most of us have been on hormones for a while most of us have like you know like been socially transitioned for a long time and it's really frustrating um to kind of like be forced to go through gender therapy like i i joked with my wife um you know can i just send them a picture of my beard or something or like and like that's not saying that like having a beard is inherently masculine but like i you know i can I, like what do you what do you want from me to prove you that i'm a guy when i've been socially transitioned and have been on hormones for like over 7 years like why do you need this extra hoop you know don't you think that I would have I would have you know had second thoughts already and that's really frustrating to me like that sort of thing of like the insurance requiring these sorts of um very specific letters um and you had to seek out the gender therapy on your own. I got like a referral. Um Colin Lord's been really nice and really helpful and stuff like that, but like 
finding someone who specialized in gender therapy, who had open slots, who like, like I had to go to Jersey, um, especially because I'm supposed to have two letters from two separate people. And I'm just like, why? (laughs) Why do I need this much proof to you? I just, I don't know the statistics of how many people seek out a phalloplasty and don't want it, but like, I'm pretty sure if you're gonna go through something that's this intense, you probably know you want it. And that's really frustrating to me. Um, The nice thing is that like, my doctor is really cool. I'm gonna be with uh, Dr. Curtis Crane, who's very experienced. Um, And the really good thing is that his practice is in Austin, as well as San Francisco, and my mother was very excited about that because she lives near Austin, and so she can see me uh, without having to fly. So she's very excited about that. Um, yeah, so like I'm kind of dealing with that aspect. I think that going through the process for I, I was I've been very lucky because of the fact that I use Colin Lord a lot that um, I haven't had a lot of like horror stories of really bad doctor experiences because of the fact that I work with a doctor's, like I I often worked with a doctor's office that was explicitly for LGBTQ communities. Um, But it's like the, the amount of gatekeeping that's happening with my insurance now has been really frustrating. So that's kind of where I'm at there. How is the social and emotional um, environment around seeking phalloplasty or even speaking about wanting phalloplasty? It's hard. Like, I know that, like, when I first kind of started looking into it, I mean, one of the most famous magazines for trans men is literally called Original Plumbing. There's a lot of stigma and there's a lot of shame centered around men who want phalloplasties. And like there are people who will call them Franken penises. There are people like the amount of like shitty things that I hear about them is so much that most phalloplasty Facebook groups, most phalloplasty, you know, social groups are incredibly secretive, like are, are often, you know, that you have to prove that you are in the process of, of trying to have one because they are so inundated with people who basically come in to either gawk and like kind of treat you like a sideshow freak or come in to basically talk about how your like how phalloplasties are inherently bad. Like they're they're just obviously going to be be badly done and you're not gonna look right. Just to clarify, this yeah. includes trans men. Oh yeah, this is this is heavily trans men. Like there are a lot of trans men who for whatever reason, I don't know why, like have decided to like be really shitty to people who get phalloplasties. And I'm like, I don't know why. I understand if someone doesn't want it for themselves. That's cool. That's your own choice. But 
there's this weird vitriolic sort of thing against men who decide to get phalloplasties. And I think part of it is that phalloplasties used to be less um, similar to how um, cis men's penises look like in the past. And there are a lot of people who think that they still look like that and they, and they still work like that. And so they become very, um, like they don't, you know, either they're upset that they can't get one or they just see it as, as people doing something that's stupid. And then they kind of let that out onto people who are doing them. And the thing is that the technology for phalloplasties has gotten really good. Like sensation is almost, you know, is, is, is very, very, very common. Like it's actually very rare now that you don't have full sensation. There's a number of different techniques, you know, for whatever sort of configuration you want. There are high rates of complications, but they're usually complications that can be dealt with. Like there are complications that can be fixed. And they, if what you want is to have, um, you know, genitalia that looks similar to, to a cis man's, they, are very like they like I've looked at pictures and like I've looked at you know videos and things and like they look very very similar like they do not look different from that and if that's something that you want if that helps your dysphoria then that's great and it help and it will help me like it helps my dysphoria to have something like that and that's what I want and so it's just really frustrating to me that there's just so much stigma and animosity against it. Um, and there are just a lot of people who kind of like view it as this uh, procedure that that's not like, you know, why are you trying? Because it's not gonna, it's not gonna ever look right. And it's like, one, you don't know what I want. So don't talk to me about looking right. But two, if what you mean by looking right is, you know, looking cis, then actually, yeah, you can get that. That's not an impossibility. That's my, that's my screed. Just going to pause for So we were talking about fallow, and um, we're just gonna uh, talk a little bit more about the other medical procedures that trans people go through, trans mask people. Yeah, sure. Um, so I had a laparoscopic hysterectomy. Um, so I only had like five tiny little, um, or not five, sorry. I had four tiny incisions um, that were each five millimeters long and they were on my stomach. One was like in my belly button, one was like a little bit above my belly button. They, they were two on like the sides of my belly button. And they basically just like used a robot to like cut things up very, very fine and take it out. So like it was a very, like I, it was, I didn't even stay overnight. Like I walked out afterward um, it was a full, complete cleaning out. I didn't have, like, it got rid of all of the organs in that area, including the cervix. Um, and it just 
like I, I walked out, I kind of, like I waddled out, let's all be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like I was walking around within a few days, like I had to wear sweatpants for like a week was basically like the entirety of, of my recovery was like, don't wear a belt because it was all like internal damage. So like the recovery was, was easier in a lot of ways because mostly it's just the fact that like you're, you're getting a lot of internal trauma due to the laparoscopic nature of it, but like it heals pretty quickly and it heals pretty easily in, in most cases, at least in my case. Um, and I actually, I got it for a lot of different reasons, partially because I didn't want kids and I didn't want like, I, I didn't want like kids biologically and I didn't want kids period. So it wasn't really like a loss for me. Um, I have friends who are trans dudes who have had kids um, while on testosterone and they were fine. They have like, I have one friend who has two kids that he had with his trans partner, which was like awesome and like great for them. Um, I have a cat and that is all I really need. Um, but I also like, you know, like one of the big things for me was the, the risks of um, endometrial atrophy. Um, so testosterone will often, I think it's a 45% chance or so, um, have a rate of um, causing like uterine and endometrial atrophy, which means that you can get some spasms, you can get kind of like issues with like fibrous growth similar to PCOS, though not exactly the same on like your, your um, like various organ parts. And that can cause pain or that can cause issues down the line. Um, so it's the sort of thing where it's like you kind of, if you want to keep it, there are ways to do that. And there are ways to mitigate those, though I didn't really look into them. Uh, because if you don't have any reason to keep it, then I didn't really see any reason not to take it out. Um, and atrophy is like an issue that isn't just about like endometrium. Um, atrophy does occur um, on like the genitalia like in the, the like, um, like internal genitalia, basically, um, due to testosterone. Um, and the problem with it is that like you get like little fissures, basically, like little, little tiny fissures um, internally. And the problem with it is that the <laughs> traditional uh, way to treat it like when you go to the doctors, as they say, well, we usually use topical estrogen for that because it, it occurs in women who have like low estrogen. And you're like, okay, but no. And some guys do it and like use it and they're fine with it. And that's totally chill. Like that's fine. But in my case, um, scent is very important to me and it does change your genital scent to something that is not going to be testosterone related. And for me, that is just like a 100% nope, it will like destroy me dysphoric wise. 
So what I actually found out, I like did some research, and if you use like a, a silicone lube that has vitamin E in it, so I use uh, Uber Lube. Uh, I feel like I'm doing product placement now. Um, it like you can use a small amount of it, and like I just do it every night um, on like you're drunk, and it real like it it made it so that I wasn't getting fissures anymore because like the vitamin E was kind of helping elasticity and stuff like that, and the the moisture helped um, with any kind of like dryness issues, so that was like really nice. So that's what I would suggest if you aren't if you are having that kind of issue and you don't want to use the traditional um, like topical estrogen method. Um, so yeah, like it's it's frustrating because like those are the things that like we never get talked to about like when we're like you know when it's like you know if you take testosterone you'll like grow a beard and you'll like sweat more and you'll like have this stuff and like no one talks about like and you might develop like atrophy. It's like no one no one talked to me about this. It would have been, like it's not like it would have changed my decision, but it would have been cool to be prepped. Um, so I know some guys will like sometimes do stuff where like they'll keep like an ovary in or something like that because they want the option of being able to produce estrogen if they choose to go off testosterone or something like that. Um, because the problem is like you do need one of the two. Like you need to have estrogen or testosterone in your system to be healthy. And so if you ever choose to go off testosterone when you've had a, a, a full hysterectomy that includes like taking an ovarectomy and everything, then you really do need to like start taking a type of hormone. Like you need to take estrogen or you need to take testosterone, even if it might be in lower amounts or something like it is, you know, that's why people have issues when they go into menopause is they're not getting like enough of like one of those hormones. Um, for top surgery, I don't know. I feel like my advice for top surgery is the same advice that I have for um, any major surgery ever, which is there are these little patches for anti-nausea that you that like you can put that are like you put them behind your ear, and they work for like three days or so, and the medications that you get for painkillers will make you nauseated. So my doctor made sure that I had one of those on for my first week after surgery and I never had nausea issues. And thinking about how much, you know, stuff was probably going on with my chest at the time because of the fact that I just had a major surgery. I lost four whole pounds. <laughs> uh, I was very large chested. Uh, and if I had ever had to throw up during that time, it would have really sucked. And I was on a lot of Percocet. My poor mother. I was so demanding because I was hella high in those first like three days I would be like get me tea and my mom was like I, I literally just put a cup of tea next to you what is and I was like a different tea and I like threatened to like 
like whenever like she she would like like not go fast and I'd like threaten to like squirt her with my drains and she was like one you two you literally can't squirt people with your drains like they're not pressurized in a way that you could squirt things like you just empty them out into like a sink they are not pressurized in a way that is possible like you probably don't want to put this part in but like it was just like, I was just silly. I was like, I was like, I don't know, I'll make it happen. I'll, I'll like, I'll like translate physics. If you can, if you have a surgery like top surgery or you have a surgery like a phalloplasty or even a metaplasty or anything like that, have someone who's a caretaker that you know, because you're gonna be real high at first and you need someone who loves you or who is at least like a close friend who won't want to murder you after those first like few days where you're gonna be real high and real helpless. Like, I'm very lucky that like I have my mom, like I'm gonna have my wife with me um, when I go down to Texas for my phalloplasty. Um, we're gonna rent a place we're thinking of doing like an apartment swap, basically. We're gonna like have a place for two months. It's like an Airbnb or like an apartment swap or something. And my biggest worry for her is caregiver fatigue. Like I've, I've, I'm one of the reasons I'm happy that my family is there too, is that like there's my sister there who's a doctor, which is great. Um, there's my mom, you know, there's my dad, like people who can, who can kind of like try to, to take some of that burden off of her and can give her like social interaction that I won't be able to do, you know, if I'm, you know, in the middle of healing and stuff like that. And so I really want to make sure that like, she's not having all the pressure on her. Um, and once again, this is one of those things of like privilege, like I am incredibly privileged. I have a family who will help most a lot of people don't and that's a big privilege that i have i have the funds to be able to travel like all the way down to texas for my surgery to get the doctor that i really wanted i have a job that gives me three months of paid time off that's a huge privilege like these are all things where like having to balance different aspects of your life. Like, this is why we have so many GoFundMes for like procedures like this. And it's why I try to always give to those GoFundMes because there's a lot of privilege that comes with my personal interactions with these procedures because of the support network that I have, because of the monetary situation that I am currently in. And there are a lot of people who can't get the treatments they need because of the fact that they just don't have the funds, not even though they're being covered by insurance, right? Like they're being covered by insurance, but are they being covered for the time off they'll need for, for, for optimum, optimal healing? Like most bad complications happen within the first two months. So I am able to be right by my doctor for those first two months, but a lot of people can't be. They have to like go right back home because they have to go back to work soon. That's a lot, that's a lot. And having a dedicated caregiver, having my wife there, having someone who has a job because of the fact that she's a cartoonist and writer who can move her job 
you know, because she works at home. Like, that's huge. Um, so, that's, like, that's the sort of thing where, like, I feel like if there's anything that I would, like, advise to people who are friends of trans people, is, who are going, going to be going through a surgery or something like that, it would be, like, reach out and try to offer help. Like, even if it's just, like, I will make you dinner or, like, I will come and be with you and be, like, a presence with you for, like, a day or something, like... A lot of people don't have the support network that I do, don't have like an ongoing relationship like I do that is allowing them to have that. I know that I'm going to be doing that anyway to be like, can people come over who are like friends of mine who live in the area of Texas that like can come and like just hang out with, you know, my wife because I, I love her a lot and she's going to be having a lot of stress and a lot of burden and I don't want her to be isolated. Um, the fact that she is willing to do all of this is huge, and I'm very lucky um, to have her. Um, it's a lot. Like, it's, it's gonna be a really big procedure. It's, it's one of the things also I feel very lucky that I'm with someone who is, like, I am not doing this for her. Um, I'm, I'm doing this for, like, my own dysphoria stuff. And I feel very lucky that I am with someone who likes my penis now and is excited about my penis later <laughs> and doesn't have any kind of issues with either. Like, and part of that is just the fact that for her, she doesn't have genital preferences. So she's like, oh, I don't care. Um, and that's, you know, that's a thing with our relationship that's fine, but it's not true for everybody. And so some people have to like, not only are they having to process all of this for themselves, they're also having to process like their own partner's like emotions and dealing with that. So that's hard too. Um, I, so I feel very lucky that like she's, uh, gung ho for, for, all kind of wing. That's probably not the best way of putting it. I, it was funny uh, when I was in the doctor's office. Uh, he's a he's a cis man, um, but he's been doing this for quite a while. So at this point, like one of the things that like when I was reading up on him, like people were like, "Well, he seems very very callous." But I think it's just because he has kind of like a sense of humor about it at this point. And I was like, like his bedside manner was exactly what I needed. It was great because uh, we were talking about it and he, you know, like one of the things that he, we were talking about was like, you know, why I was getting the procedure that I'm getting, which is meant for people who are heavier because I am a little bit heavier. And um, he mentioned that, you know, the reason why we're doing that is because, you know, if we took it from, you know, there, there might be issues with, with a bit of a Coke can problem where it would be a little bit too girthy because of just my weight. And that's why we would want to do this other procedure, which is the one that I wanted originally, which is the, uh, the one that uses your forearm. Um, so he was like, I'm glad that you want that because I think that's the best for you and your weight and things like that. 
and uh, and he, he like basically like gestures at my my partner uh, who's in the room with me and is like it's probably you know you know you'll think like it'll be good for you it'll be best for her <laughs> and she was and it was just this really sort of funny moment and like I can understand why some people would be like you know that's very cavalier to like be saying something like that but like it it made it feel like like it was less stressful like like it, it didn't feel like we were all you know stressed about like a really scary procedure which it is it you know was the sort of moment of like yep this is the thing where we're talking about penises we're we all know at one point that like my intention is to use it and like no one is is like awkwardly avoiding that that fact um and uh i think that her response actually was uh um, you don't know me, <laughs> which was really funny. She was like, you don't know. And I was like, well, I'd prefer it not to be a Coke can, so we'll, we'll keep it down. She was like, I understand it. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really glad, like relationship-wise, I feel like I hugely lucked out with her. She's so, like, supportive over, throughout our relationship. And I like I had talked to her even like early on that this was something that I would probably want like years ago. Um, but it always was sort of the thing of like I wanted it to get to the point where I felt comfortable. And when the technology kind of got and things have gotten like like com even comparing like the last five years, like phalloplasties have gotten like better and better. Like success rates have been higher. Um, the glansplasty makes it was a really big thing for me because it really, for me, aesthetics are important. And aesthetically, I think the glansplasty is really, really beneficial um, for just like how it looks like medical tattooing is a thing that I'm gonna be doing, which I was like, can you do medical tattooing before sensation comes back? And it's like, not usually. And I was like, oh no, that'll be terrible. Um, so right now I've got like this thing where I'm walking around with like one arm that's bare because I've been doing lasers and electrolysis to make it so I don't have a woolly wing. Um, but it's really funny because like I think that taking having a sense of humor about something that's this scary is is helpful for me. So like uh, like I was rubbing lotion on it after. Um, we were like after a, a particularly painful electrolysis session and um, she was helping me with it. And I was like, is this like, like a hand job from the future? And she was like, you're going to be a penis soon. It'll be good. Like pats my arm. I'm like, thank you for talking to it and confirming its desires. And she was like, yeah, it knows someday. Yeah, the only problem is like going to like the laser places or like the electrolysis places. Like these, these are not people who are used to doing one arm, <laughs> like just one, just one of your arms. And like, it's it's just really awkward because they'll always be like, "Don't you want the other arm?" And I'm like, "No, it's for a medical procedure." And like sometimes they push and sometimes they don't. The ones that push, like eventually, I'm just like, "It's for a penis. It's for a penis, okay?" And that will make them stop pushing at me but like I usually don't want to open with like it's gonna be a penis 
Like, you don't need to know that about my life. Um, I do I do comment sometimes that I, I feel like I, I'm getting this fallow partially for dysphoria's sake and partially because I can make a lot of dick jokes now. Like, so many dick jokes. And really isn't that why we're all here today. Um, do you have any other questions regarding it or regarding, like, generally? I think just... Um question that you'd like to, especially since we're talking about uh, more trans mask issues, yeah. and you've been giving a lot of advice, is there anything that doesn't have to be medically related, or even trans related really, is there anything that you'd like for maybe um, people a little bit younger than you to hear? I guess one of the biggest things is, um, I realized that I was trans when I was 18. And I didn't start living my life as uh, socially transitioned as a, as a man um, until I was 23. And the reason why is because I thought that I wouldn't look right or that people would never see me as a man. And I think that my biggest advice would be to be one, um, people look all sorts of ways, like cis people. Like you don't have to look a certain way to be a guy or a girl or whatever. Like if you're not like, even like, if you're, this is especially for like people who are, who are binary because I think this is a fear that is more of a, a, a binary issue because a lot of people who are non-binary, like inherently you're going to kind of be seen as trans if you're being properly gendered. But I think there are a lot of people who um, are scared to transition because they feel like they'll never be seen as quote unquote, a real man, a real woman. And like one, trans people are real, you just are. So in, even like, even if you do not look like, you know, what you perceive as a cis person, like that doesn't matter. But also you'd be surprised. Like people don't necessarily look at someone and like immediately start like trying to see whether or not they're trans or not. And looking, you know, being short, there are short cis dudes all over the place. Like maybe you're a woman who's butch and you're like, but if I trans, you know, if I transition, will people really think that I'm a woman um, because I like being butch? Do I have to suddenly wear like frilly clothes all the time? There are plenty of butch ladies. Like, you can be a butch trans woman, you can be a femme, like, gay trans dude. Like, that. Ha I know examples of, of both of these. And there's no one way to be um, a man or a woman. Like, there's no cookie cutter sort of thing that you have to look like. There's no height that you're supposed to be. If you, you know, there's, there's no, you know, amount of, of facial hair that you have to have. I know plenty of guys who are cis men who can't grow a beard, and my own mother has a luscious mustache. Like, these are not 
these are not things that mean that you're a man or a woman. And if I could have gone back in time and told myself when I was 18 that I could have been happier and healthier by transitioning when I realized what my gender was instead of being so scared that other people would reject me or that I wouldn't look the right way, I really wish I could because I, one, was really having a lot of stress and upsetness during that time and that I could have avoided. Like that's like five years of me basically knowing that I was trans and being really upset about it. And I also like missed out on things. Like I, one of my friends, the first thing that he, one of the first things that he said was, I was really sad that you didn't come out during college about being a guy because I would have been so excited to have you as a frat brother. And like, I know that he's telling the truth because of the fact that there was another trans dude that was in our like friends group who he did in fact like have in his frat house and this wasn't one of like the really shitty frats it was basically the nerd frat um which is why it had so much crossover it was absolutely like full of nerds and they were really nice and it was a, it was like the nerd feminist like fraternity that like all the other fraternities didn't like but like i could have had that experience i could have had the like that sort of like you know connection with him that I don't get to have because I chose to not be myself because I was so scared. And so I think that my biggest thing is if it is safe, because if it's not safe, that's an understandable thing. And if you don't feel safe, that's okay. But I was in a safe environment. I, would have been, I was in a very liberal college. I would have been okay but I was scared about ridicule, and I was scared that people would think that I wasn't good enough. It wasn't a safety thing for me. And I feel like I could have had a less stressful five years there. So I guess my biggest thing is don't, don't be scared of things that aren't that don't be scared that you'll not be good enough, I guess, is my big thing. Like, it's okay. Especially, like, people understand trans people a lot more now. And, like, it's a very, we have a very scary, very dangerous environment right now because of politics. And so, if you are scared because of that, that is valid. But if you have a safe environment that you can transition in, and you're just worried that you won't be like good enough at being whatever gender you are, you are. Like you don't need, like you, there's no one way to be a man or a woman. So I guess that's, that's what my big advice would be. Thank you so much, Elon. <laughs>